This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Want good new books to read but overwhelmed by all of the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, then sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there is an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat yourself and support an indie bookstore too. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Friday, May 22nd. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Hi, Kim. Um, I am very, very thrilled that it's Friday. It's a holiday weekend. Uh, it's, you know, shiny skies ahead, sort of. How are you? You know, I feel very much the same, although uh, we are not anticipating great weather this weekend in Minnesota, so I'm a little bummed about that because it was beautiful all of this week, and I spent all of it, like, sitting in my basement at my desk looking out this window, being like, why am I not outside? And then this weekend when I finally get to be outside, it's going to rain here probably. So I'm a, little, I'm a little bummed about that, but it is Friday, and so that's amazing. <laughs> um, that's extremely understandable. I am – it's supposed to rain here too, so I'm planning on – Staying in and watching a lot of things on screens. Yes, because you have a very exciting weekend. It is your birthday this weekend. It is my birthday! Okay, so I am, I am normally one of those people who gets very grumpy about people being like, it's my birthday week or whatever. Um, I'm like, no, your birthday is one day, maybe two. That is it. <laughs> because of quarantine, all bets are off. Celebrate your birthday however long you want. And also do that regardless of what's going on in the world. Don't listen to my grumpiness. But... Yeah, I'm very excited. I have a number of birthday goals that I set up, one of which was to finish season nine of Supernatural, which happened today. So this is something that I have been trying to do for the last year. (laughs) I started Supernatural in May last year because, because I saw a Tumblr gift set of a character in season 10 who is a very pretty redheaded witch who I really wanted to get to. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch the whole series until I get up to her point. So I'm finally, finally, as of today, when we're recording this, to the point that I wanted to get to when I saw that Tumblr gift set a year ago. Oh my goodness. It's a wonderful day. So this is a character that like enters in season 10? Yep. (laughs) Okay. And you decided you were going to watch all nine seasons instead of just like starting with season 10? That is that is commitment. Okay, I tried starting with season 10, and then I was like, you know what? I'm not getting the full depth of all of these emotional interactions, mm, and now I, I feel like I need to go back. And so then- and, fair. and then I just watched uh, almost, at this point, 200 episodes of Supernatural. That is deeply amazing. <laughs> That's a word. Uh, that feels like 
a few years ago, I um, watched 14 of 15 seasons of <gasps> ER over not a very long time. <laughs> uh yeah that's what that reminds me of uh and but i the thing is i've never finished it i got like midway through season 14 i think and i just like all the original doctors were gone and like everything i don't know like the vibe of it was different and i just just stopped and i have never finished it how many seasons are there of er I think there's 15. Oh my gosh, you're so close. I know. I feel like I just got to go back and just like power through it so I can say I did it. But (laughs) yeah. Oh, speaking of finishing things, you finished a book, I believe. Yes, that was an excellent segue. Yes. I I mentioned last week that I was listening to the audiobook uh, Open Book, Jessica Simpson's new memoir, uh, and I finished it and I liked it a lot. And I am not even very ashamed of telling you that. Uh, I thought it was... uh, like, I just thought it was a really, like, honest memoir, and I appreciate when people, like, write a memoir and are very open about kind of the issues that they faced and, and what they they felt about their experiences. And she had her kind of an interesting life and career, and I think um, issues with addiction, issues with body image, issues with kind of the impacts of stardom on people and um, her relationships, and I just, uh, I really liked it. And it ends with um, some music that she, I think, it must be like what's going to be part of her next album because she references like writing music and going back to the studio. So and the book has a few of those songs that I really really liked. Um, so so it was fun. Yeah, it was a good book. Um, I just want to side note that you should not at all feel ashamed of having <laughs> read and enjoyed this book. It sounds very interesting, and you know, people being um, emotionally honest is pretty much always compelling. So yeah, fantastic. That's true. That's true. And that brings us to our first sponsor of the episode, which is Write the World, publishers of Writers on Earth. Writers on Earth magnifies the voices of young people across the globe and their relationship to the natural world, which is awesome. So throughout this uh, collection, it's sort of like a bunch of reflections, essays, stories, poems, and this generation, so like this upcoming, I believe they are Gen Z, um, bears their hearts. So this is going from Singapore to Canada, Australia to Pakistan, the US to Japan, and they're sharing their thoughts, their fears, their hopes about the global environment, its future, and our place in it. And I think that we've all seen in recent times that when it comes to climate change, it is in fact the young people of today who are leading the way and galvanizing adults into taking action. So if you're interested in kind of like reading their stories and their thoughts on this and how they are entering this world and what they're thinking of this legacy that they have been left that is not ideal, definitely check out this book again that is Write the World, publishers of Writers on Earth. Excellent. That sounds good. One of the other talking points is that there's an introduction by Elizabeth Colbert, who is the winner of the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for The Sixth Extinction, which is a book that you have loved and recommended on this podcast. I've recommended many times on this podcast. Yeah. So that is a stellar endorsement, I would say. All right. So with that, we will get into new books, uh, which are books coming out this week uh, within the last couple of weeks, kind of being flexible about new uh, because everything is weird right now. So um, my first book is a real delight, and I'm so excited to talk about it. And it's called Troop 6000, the Girl Scout troop that began in a shelter and inspired the world by Nikita Stewart. And this book came out May 19th from Ballantine Books. And this is 
a true story of the first Girl Scout troop that was founded for and by girls living in a shelter in Queens. And the nationwide kind of response and support that that creation of that troop caused. So kind of the main character of the book, her name is Giselle Burgess, and she was a single mother of five who opens the book kind of just trying to like make it work for her family. Um, And so she is living in a small apartment with her five kids, uh, and she's evicted from that home, and um, they have to enter New York City's shelter system. And so they end up at a shelter in Queens, the sleep-in, and it should have been a temporary stay for this family. But a year goes by with the six of them all living in this tiny room with just a couple of beds um, and just kind of struggling to be there. And so two of her girls had previously been in Girl Scouts. And while they were there, it was this just awesome experience for them, like making friends and kind of experiencing scouting. And their mom, who kind of didn't grow up in that world, like got into it and really like found a lot of companionship and camaraderie in the Girl Scouts as well. And so as they were staying in the shelter, they finally decided they would start a troop for them. So that was Troop 6000. Uh, and so the book, uh, Nikki DeStewart is a New York Times journalist who spent more than a year with uh, Troop 6000 uh, in like 2017. And so um, she just like tells the story of these girls and their families, um, their successes and their failures, um, what it's like to grow up homeless in New York City. A little bit about the history of the Girl Scouts, too, and then how um, this idea of Girl Scout troops and homeless shelters extended to other uh, shelters in New York City and around the country. So I just found this one very charming and really kind of inspiring and just like these really good stories about these young women and the, kind of the things that they learned and the camaraderie and friendship and all of those kind of things. And so I feel like you need something to just sort of like cheer you up and make you feel good about something in the world. Uh, this is a really good one to try and grab. So uh, that is Troop 6000, the Girl Scout troop that began in a shelter and inspired the world by Nikita Stewart. I love like some kind of, you know, troop or underdog story. I know. Those are always great. Yes. So my first pick for this week is Miss World 1970, How I Entered a Pageant and Wound Up Making History by Jennifer Hostin. Um, Along with sort of scout or troop type books, I love books about beauty pageants and movies about them. I th- Did we talk about this last time? I don't know. I don't think so. I think I've talked about beauty pageants with someone recently, and I was just Not like, me. Oh, yes, I'm, oh, I'm so, well, now we get to. Okay. Yes. So uh, what happened at Miss World 1970 took place in London, and Jennifer Hostin was the winner. She was the first woman of color to win Miss World, and it also ended up, it was like this big uh, hullabaloo, if you will, at the time, because there was also a protest happening at it. So, okay. Here is the story. She decided, she was asked by uh, Grenada, where she is from, um, which is, you know, in the Caribbean. It was the first time that they were entering any contestant into Miss World. And they were like, will you do this, Jennifer Huston? And she said, yes, I will. She was an, uh, I think, a flight attendant at the time, which was one of the, even though it was 1970, it was still kind of one of the, like, main jobs that you could go into, like, as a as a as an enterprising young woman. So she entered this. She ended up winning Uh, Miss World, like this, you know, first time out. And uh, so she went to England and the the thing was hosted by Bob Hope, who kind of was known (laughs) for being, yeah, I know. Like he's he's done some amazing stuff with the USO. He's also known for being like a huge womanizer. And he had like been, I think he'd had an affair with a previous Miss World. And so all of these, this feminist group in London, they were protesting. And it's interesting how Jennifer Hostin presents the story because she's very kind of more of a not like a necessarily conservative voice but 
she describes her life with with grace and an amused modesty. And when so when I read that, I was like, that is completely accurate for the tone of this because she's like, and then there were you know these the feminists stood up and they shot their water guns filled with ink and they were <laughs> protesting <laughs> that there was a, they like threw a, a flower bomb on Bob Hope. Which uh, was also an, an interesting choice, which, by the way, this is all very in line with the British women's rights movements going back to the suffrage uh, times. But anyway, so she did this like there was all this stuff going on. And then after she won, so it was her winning as Miss Grenada. And then second place was Miss Africa South, Pearl Jansen, which you would be like, wait, you mean Miss South Africa? No. Because, and this is in the book too, it's so fascinating, slash horrible, apartheid was still happening in South Africa at the time. South Africa was getting a lot of flack for sending a white contestant to Miss World. And they were like, okay, we're going to let you have two contestants. And so they had a Miss Africa South and a Miss South Africa. And they were black and white. So I know. Yep. Yep. The face I'm making is just like, what even? Yeah. 1970, 50 years ago, not that long ago. Anyway, so as soon as Jennifer won, Pearl, like the Miss Africa South, who again got second place, went up to her and she was like, look, people are going to say that this was politics. They're going to say you don't deserve it. That is completely incorrect. You 100% deserve this. And she said that this is exactly what happened. People were protesting. They were saying it was rigged. She talks about like that whole process and just like... But again, slightly, it's a very easy book and she like kind of skims over it. And I like... I did come out of the story being like, I want more detail. (laughs) Like, I want to know more. Mm -hmm. But in terms of telling the basics of this thing that I had no idea happened, like, I didn't know that Miss World 1970 was like a big deal. And then they're like, there was a huge protest. And also it was like the first woman of color one. And like, yeah, it was. And then after that, she goes into her tour with Bob Hope. I'm telling too much detail, but it was, it's such (laughs) an interesting story. And then after that, they made a movie called Misbehavior that just came out in the UK, and I'm dying to see it. It looks so good. And it's, like again, covering all of these things because it's such a, like, dramatic tale. But anyway, so if you would like to read this, it's Miss World 1970 by Jennifer Hostin. That sounds amazing. And I had, like, I had no idea about this either. But when you told me you were doing this one, I, like, you know, did Wikipedia to, like, learn a little bit about it. And yeah, it is bananas. So good. That sounds awesome. Did you know that Grenada, by the way, sorry, real quick, Grenada produces 40% of our nutmeg in the world. I had no idea. It's called the Isle of Spice. I just wanted to share that little factoid. What a good fact. Excellent. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> all right. So with that, we will uh, hop to our second sponsor, which is Libro.fm. So Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local independent bookstore at the same price as Audible for a monthly membership. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and some of the hottest new audiobooks releases, like Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reid, which I really liked, Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which I'm listening to right now, uh, Wow No Thank You by Samantha Irby, which I also am listening to, and The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel, which I actually am not listening to, but I really want to. So listeners of For Real can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. That's Libro.fm, code BR3, to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. All right, so my second pick is called uh, In Praise of Walking, a new scientific exploration by Shane O'Mara. Uh, this book is a little bit older. It came out, well, I guess not really older. It came out May 12th from Norton, so uh, still in May. 
So Shana Mara is a professor of experimental brain research at Trinity College Dublin. Uh, I just thought that was a really cool professor of. That's a, a good one. So this book basically is just about the benefits of walking and why walking is good for our bodies and for our brains and why we should appreciate that we have this kind of uniquely human skill. So the book kind of starts with uh, the evolution of walking. So how we went from like life forms on the ocean floor to actually like walking beings because there's not many animals that actually like walk on two feet like humans do. And then gets all the way into like the latest research on the brain, looking at how um, the brain helps us balance and move through crowds and kind of orient ourselves in the world as we are walking and trying to kind of figure out what is happening. So he talks about why walking is good for us, uh, how it helps our muscles and our posture, how it can help um, protect and repair our organs, which I did not know about, um, and how it can slow uh, brain aging processes. So one of the quotes from the book jacket talks about how with our minds in motion, we think more creatively, our mood improves, and stress levels fall. Walking together to achieve a shared purpose is also a social glue that has contributed to our survival as a species. And I haven't gotten super far into this one yet, but I really like it so far. And one of the reasons I was interested in it is because, like, I personally myself have learned how good walking and just sort of movement like that is for me, kind of keeping my brain from feeling like too running all over the place. Um, and it's a good way to kind of close out my stress at the end of the day. So I'm, I'm really curious to learn more just about what some of the other benefits of walking can be. So uh, that is In Praise of Walking, a new scientific exploration by Shane O'Mara. I wonder if that's like extra good to be published right now or kind of like like taunting you. Like, hey, look mm-hmm. how great it is walking with people. Yeah, probably the part about walking with people, it's a little bit like, oh, suckers. But the part of like, we can still all walk because gyms are closed. So it's good that we can do that. That's true. And you could walk six feet away from someone. That's true. Just like shout at them. That's true. I don't think, you have, to sh- I don't think you have to shout actually at six feet. Just talk in a slightly heightened no. voice. Anyway, my next book is, this is my my segue, is Weird But Normal, appropriate, Essays by Mia Mercado. So when I first checked this out, I was like, okay, it's another book of essays by like, you know, a woman who's maybe 30. It's so funny. I, okay, I've been having a hard time sleeping due to world stress. And I was Mm -hmm. staying up very late the other night. And I was like, I'm just gonna like read this book for the podcast. And I started reading Weird But Normal. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is not what I was expecting. She, I think she was born around 1990. So my, and my like, she talks about grade school or middle school being in like 2000 to 2005-ish, which is a little bit later than when I did it. But it was close enough that I was like, oh, I remember that, or yes, I had that same experience. One of my favorite parts, she like breaks it up into different sections of life. Like I think she has like home and work or something. But one of my favorite parts is she talks about (laughs) her evolution basically as a youth through the screen names that she selected, like growing up. Yeah, right? It's immediately funny because you're like, oh no, my screen names were so bad. I had like an X-Files one and a Matrix meets the X-Files one and like Mm -hmm. something that was like a Broadway Mm -hmm. inside joke. And she has similarly terrible ones. And it's just, it's so funny. And just like such a also like nostalgic kickback to what even just like the internet was like back then. And it was also in terms of the things that I didn't do, there was some website she talks about called like Dolls with a Z, which I'm sure some listeners are like, oh, yeah, of course. But I had no idea what that was. And but it was so interesting to be like, oh, this was like ubiquitous. Like all these people were so into this, but they were younger. So I did not know about it. 
Oh, she has this amazing other essay where she goes to Disney World with her family as like a grumpy adolescent. And something happens that I legit could not stop laughing at, which I am not going to spoil. But I was like, I screen capped that that like page. I sent it. I was reading on my phone. I sent it to my friend. I was like, you have to read this book. It's so funny. But anyway, it's it's such a wonderful break. In terms of, again, everything going on today, if you just want to read something funny and like relatable and again, nostalgia inducing, this is great for that. So that is Weird But Normal, Essays by Mia Mercado. That sounds so great. I fully recommend it. I'm going to get that one for sure. All right. So uh, the last book I want to mention is a book called How to Read Nonfiction Like a Professor, A Smart Irreverent Guide to Biography, History, Journalism, Blogs, and Everything in Between by Thomas C. Foster. Uh, And so this is kind of an interesting book. And I think it's an interesting one to talk about just for this podcast, because it's all about um, tips and information about how to read nonfiction books and ways to assess their validity and assess their arguments and, you know, understand them better, um, which I think is really interesting because I I feel like in the past when we've done like reader questions for podcasts and stuff, people have op- have asked like, how do you assess how good a nonfiction book is or like how accurate it is? Um, and I think this book is a really good tool for that. He offers a really cool uh, and interesting kind of list uh, or approaches to reading nonfiction and how to best understand how it is produced and put together and uh, argued. So it's about like being careful and attentive when you read. In the first part, he kind of lays out these principles of nonfiction and he looks at like how nonfiction books are structured, which I thought was really fascinating because I think when you think through how something is put together, it helps you think about it in a new way. And I haven't spent a lot of time recently thinking about the structure of nonfiction and how that might impact the arguments that the author is making. Um, and so he does this for books, but then also later in the book gets into online and social media and blogs and kind of all of those different things. I think if you're a person who is curious about ways to read nonfiction better or to assess the books that you're reading more critically, this book might have some interesting tools to, to try and do that. Yeah, did you have something you want to add? I think that, because we, we were both sort of like looking at this mm-hmm. since this is our main topic, I thought that it was really interesting how he was talking about ways that you can try to figure out the author's bias, which mm-hmm. is extremely important in nonfiction, right? Because you can be like, I'm just telling the facts, but anyone going in is going to have a bias. So just, you know, learning how to be more attentive to that and being like, how much is this actually impacting the information that they are presenting to me? Um, I think that's a really important skill. Yeah, for sure. I like that he uses examples from a lot of like contemporary nonfiction that's pretty popular. Um, So he'll be talking about argumentation or organization, and then he'll use a a really clear example. So like early in the book, he talks about uh, the organization of historical stories, and he compares Seabiscuit to The Boys in the Boat, um, which are two books that I've read and really liked. The problem with using like largely popular nonfiction is that the vast majority of the books that he cites are by white authors. There's he's got a, a work cited in the back and it's it's very white. Um, there's only a few f- fairly obvious books by people of color that he references. So I wish that he had maybe referenced a few more books by people of color. I think that would have rounded it out a little better. But that's um, just kind of one piece of concern, I guess. It's just good to stay aware of. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that is uh, new books for the end of May. And next time we talk about new books, it will be June. And it feels like there's a lot of books coming out in June. Either stuff that got bumped or stuff that was meant to come out in June anyway. So um, that'll be kind of exciting. Well, especially with the uh, cancellation of Book Expo, now that we're not getting all of the like 
publicity for those books through that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the new books coming out in June is what I mean to say. Yes. All right. So um, for this week's um, kind of second topic, we thought it's almost the end of May, but May is Mental Health Month. And so we thought that we would look at some books that have some kind of connection to mental health. And um, it seems particularly like useful to maybe talk about these now since we're in this like very stressful state where we like all have sort of this like underlying perpetual anxiety, even if you I don't know. I just feel like a lot of times now my emotions are very close to the surface and it doesn't take very much to sort of set them off in one way or the other. And so I think books just kind of talking about ways we can address and improve or be more aware of our mental health are a good thing to talk about right now. I totally agree. So I'm going to kick that off. I want to say, and I probably said this in some way about like self-help slash whatever types of books of this ilk. I tend to not read them. And I think that I have a thing in my brain that's like, you're too smart for this. Like, why would you pick this up? These aren't going to help you. And I wanted to say that because I am positive that there are other people out there who also think this. And I want to say that when I checked out like a number of books to see which I wanted to talk about on the podcast, all of them had things to say that made me think more, <laughs> made me examine my life and were genuinely helpful. So I like if if you're kind of like, I'm good. Thanks, books. <laughs> I, I do think that probably all of our recommendations, I don't know about Kim's, but probably um, are going to be helpful in some way, maybe not necessarily to you, because um, I think part of the issue that, you know, someone could pick up a self-help book and be like, this doesn't resonate with me, but kind of similar to a therapist. I'm not saying self-help books are the same as therapy, but similar to a therapist, different authors are going to resonate with you different ways. So it can be just about trying to find one that fits with you. On that note, so I thought that this was especially appropriate due to everyone mostly being at home. It is happier at home Kiss More, Jump More, Abandon Self-Control, and My Other Experiments in Everyday Life by Gretchen Rubin. She is the author of The Happiness Project, which if you've been to any kind of used book sale, you have probably seen lying mm-hmm. around. That book is everywhere. So Happier at Home, I was like, oh my gosh, the most appropriate thing because she basically, she was like, okay, I wrote The Happiness Project. What do I want to do next? And she realized that despite, you know, having focused on happiness in her life overall, she was like, I would like my life at home to be more like sort of deliberately thought out and happier and how do I incorporate that so the way that she was like what do I want from my home which was she decided a place that calmed her but also energized her which makes sense a place that by making her feel safe would free her to take risks and then she said that while she wanted to be happier at home she also wanted to appreciate how much happiness was there already so she does this um, I think I haven't read the happiness project but I think she does a similar setup where it's like each month I'm going to tackle mm-hmm. a new thing mm-hmm. and then okay and it's like a year long okay so that's what she does here so she splits it up into possessions marriage parenthood interior design time body family neighborhood and then now because part of her thing was she was like i realized that you know i would look back and i'd be like oh we were really happy during that one time you know like this time period but we didn't realize it at the time so being more aware of, you know, it's the whole thing about being thankful and aware of the things you have now that are in fact causing happiness. And you might just be so distracted, you're not thinking about them. Even just like the possessions chapter is a little bit not quite Marie Kondo-ish because she's more into like, if you have stuff that you enjoy, just like keep it. I know that that's an extreme simplification of Marie Kondo's process, (laughs) but 
I don't know. She's just like, she is really thoughtful. And despite the subtitle, which is the kind of subtitle that would make me shy away from a book, you know, like kiss more, jump more, abandon, I'd be like, okay. But the stuff in the book is genuinely helpful. And I really think that uh, I'm planning on going through it pretty deliberately and seeing how I can apply it during this extended period at home. So again, that is Happier at Home by Gretchen Rubin. Yeah, that's a good pick. I think in my memory, like people's um, mileage with Gretchen Rubin can sometimes vary. Like I think some people find her too. um, I really like her and I think her books are interesting and I appreciate her like very methodical, very like organized approach to some of this stuff. Um, Even if I don't, yeah, like I appreciate that. But I think some people, if I remember, especially with like the Happiness Project, were sort of like, you're a pretty privileged lady. uh, And so like, what are you doing here? But I think it's, I appreciate like, still trying to figure out like making your life better even when your life is pretty good already i think there's worth in doing that so i'm glad that you found something in these that you liked that reminded me that do you remember tolstoy in the purple chair yes okay it has a very similar vibe to that Mm -hmm. so i totally get what you're Mm -hmm. saying about privileged white lady because it's like i was just like sitting around my house and trying to think about what to do with my life like I'll write another book but again I do think she has very good motives and generally is is trying very hard to make it as applicable for anyone as possible yeah I think so I think so I I like Gretchen Rubin I think she's interesting and the stuff that she writes about is interesting so that's a good pick so my first pick is one that I have definitely talked about on the podcast before but as I was thinking about like what is the book that I feel like I most need to sort of pick up right now to really help me I was like obviously I need to read this book again so I thought I'm gonna just bring it up and I'm gonna talk about it and that book is Burnout The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle by Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski um, and so I read this book last year and it was just like it was a book that really like changed the way I think about some things um, and I, it was really significant. So um, last year in the spring, uh, early part of the year, my job changed, someone left and I spent a long time doing two people's jobs. And I kind of in the late spring, early summer was just like, I just, I, I was so tense and stressed and just having such a hard time even just like getting up and getting going. And I realized like I was burning out, like that is what was happening. And I've I checked this book out and I got the audiobook and I listened to the first chapter, which is basically about the stress response cycle and how um, a way to help yourself combat burnout is to move through the stress response cycle instead of letting it stall out. And uh, it it changed the way I approach things. I started taking walks every day and that really helped. And so I have recommended this book a lot of times to people because I think that part is so interesting. So... um, What the book looks at specifically is stress and how it affects women differently than men and how women um, are have sort of a unique, a different set of circumstances stressing them out. And so part of what they look at in addition to just like a stressful job or anything like that is they look at what's expected of women and what it's really like to be a woman in today's world are two very different things. Women exhaust themselves trying to close the gap between them. So it's about the gap between what's expected and what it's really like and how living in that gap can be so stressful for everyone. So the, the idea of the stress response cycle is that our, our brains are wired for fight or flight. And so in the, you know, olden times, primitive times, like a lion would chase you, you would run away from it, you would get safe, and then you would like celebrate that you had evaded the lion, and then you would move on with your life. Now our stressful situations are not so obvious as lions, and you can't just end them by, you know, getting getting to safety. It's work, it's, um, you know, kids, it's expectations about, uh, <laughs> you know, beauty industry, all of these things are stresses. And so to combat them, we have to 
allow our bodies to physically release that stress. And they're, they offer a lot of different ways and scientific approaches to how to do that, um, about how to actually move yourself through that. And so I think that it's just, it's a really good, useful book for people who are feeling kind of burned out and constantly stressed because there are some really simple ways that you can help your body move through this and that will help your brain and all of these other things. So uh, if you don't want to read the whole book, at the very least, like go to the library, check it out, read the first chapter about the stress response cycle and like the tips they give at the end for dealing with that because it honestly like changed the way I think about a lot of stuff last year and it was a big deal. So that book is Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle by Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. And if you can't go to the library, you can probably use your library's digital resources, such as Libby. That is correct. Good point. I got so many of these books. Like, when I was, when I was like, oh, I need to find books for mental health, I just start, like went into that category on Libby and my library, which under, I mean, it's the Chicago public, so they have a lot of resources, but they had all of these options that were just available like immediately, which was so cool. I think that libraries are also expanding their digital holdings right mm-hmm. now, which is, mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. Um, so by the way, a lot of libraries now you can apply for a library card online. So if you don't have one, do that. Okay, my next pick, which I'm really excited about, is um, this is another book that I would be like, okay, but it is Brave Not Perfect, How Celebrating Imperfection Helps You Live Your Best, Most Joyful Life by Reshma Sojani. She is the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. I have highlighted like this entire book. Like I went into my my Kindle little highlight notes and it was like, oh, you mean every page? But <laughs> so her basic thing is that boys are taught to be brave and girls are taught to be perfect. And that's kind of her thesis statement aside from the whole here's how you should be brave or what being brave will do. And she talks a lot about social systems and training, which is the kind of thing that I find really fascinating. And she's basically saying that girls are, okay, so like one example she shows or talks about is being at the playground and watching her son play and how her husband was like standing back. And like, if he fell, he'd be like, okay, you can like, just get back up. It's fine. And like, he would just go and run off around whatever. Meanwhile, she looked over and there was like three girls who were like perfectly quaffed sitting in a sandbox with their mothers like two inches behind them and just like making sure that like if anything went wrong, they would immediately take care of it. And when she said that, like when I read those, I was like, I can absolutely picture that. Like this is definitely a thing that happens all the time. So one of the things that she talks about with that is that number one, obviously it's that people tend to try to take more care of girls than boys and see them as much more fragile and that boys are just like more sort of like pushed to take risks, which then leads throughout their entire lives. Like she's like, we're setting them up, children, at like from the beginning to just be like this. And then this ends up having, um, for women in particular, if you make one mistake, you tend to take it really hard, which uh, I don't know about you, but resonated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was like, this is the kind of thing where you start seeing like, oh, I'm being praised for when I do it correctly. So then if I do one thing incorrectly, it affects my entire mindset about myself. And I just like see it as like my self-worth has gone down. And I was just like, dang, yeah. And she also, what I loved was she was like, this is not your parents' fault. It's not like if you're a parent and you're doing this, it's not your fault. This is indeed like a systemic problem that we can take steps to fix. So one of the other things I thought was really fascinating 
was she said that inst- we were like telling girls now, like we have all these people like Katniss Everdeen and like Wonder Woman, and we're saying you can do and be anything, but they're hearing like you have to do and be everything. And so they're like, you have to just basically be like really like awesome and like amazing and like, you know, like kick ass or whatever. And then also you have to like be great at school and like be athletic and like, <laughs> like there's just all of these expectations. So She's talking about the advantage of just letting yourself fail, how you can do that. And gosh, I just really liked it. I don't know if you can tell from the passion in my voice, but I think that it's, um, I, she had, she's talking about all these like teachers and parents who would write to her and say that they like bought these for the class or whatever. I think it's really easy to read, but it also, again, like contains a lot of information. So again, that is Brave Not Perfect by Reshma Sojani. Just read it. It's really good. Oh, that sounds so good. And I think it kind of dovetails with burnout a little bit because that book is also about how like your burnout and your stress is not necessarily your fault. Like there are systems and misogyny and sexism all in place and that makes the world stressful for and hard for women. Um, so I appreciate books that kind of get at that, that it's not, it's not just you, like the world is hard. <laughs> it is. And actually, yeah, when you were talking about, about burnout, I was like, oh, that's exactly like the thing I'm about to talk about. But mm-hmm. oh, I forgot to mention real quick, the salty lemonade story which is actually a study where they gave boys lemonade with like a bunch of salt in it and they were immediately like ew this is gross and they gave it to girls and overwhelmingly apparently uh they didn't say anything and then when they asked them why they didn't say anything they were like well we didn't want to hurt your feelings oh. which is uh, not good no it's, <laughs> it's not, not good. <laughs> oh that's a good oh man good pick all right, so um, my second pick is uh, another book I think I've talked about a couple of times before, but it feels worth bringing up again, and that is The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters by Emily Asfani Smith. And so Smith is an instructor in positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, and this book is um, one about the four pillars of building a meaningful life, um, particularly like finding a meaningful life after a loss. So the four pillars are belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. And so she talks about how those um, pillars can help you find meaning in your life, particularly if you are not a religious person. So um, she offers this really interesting research-based exploration of the steps uh, that people are often encouraged to take after experiencing a loss and then how those steps build into these four pillars. Um, And there's a lot of really interesting examples of people who have made these uh, large and small changes in their lives in search of purpose and um, also uh, some of the cultural challenges that exist that can cause us to have trouble finding space for the kind of introspective thinking that you might need to find, you know, examples of these four pillars in your life. So um, I don't know, this is a really significant book for me a few years ago, and I think it's a it could be a good book for some people now because I think one of the thing COVID has kind of brought multiple kinds of losses to a lot of people, right? Like there's sort of like this just general grief and anxiety that we're all feeling about the world not being as we expected it to be. And then there's other people experiencing actual losses of, of family members and people they know or of experiences that they were expecting to have. So like not getting to have their high school prom or graduation or 
just a whole host of those things. And those are all losses and losses that mark kind of meaningful experiences in our lives. And so I think um, this book might be useful if you're experiencing any one of those kinds of things about how to perhaps find meaning in other ways or beyond some of those um, rituals and experiences that we're not really getting to have in the same way right now. So um, yeah, I, I recommend this one pretty highly. So that is The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters by Emily Esfani Smith. That sounds really good. It is good. It is good. All right. And so with that, we will um, wrap up the podcast as we usually do by talking about the books that we are reading uh, right now. And so uh, as we go into this holiday weekend, uh, I think my, my goal is to finish two books that I have like had partially read on my nightstand for it feels like forever, but it probably actually hasn't been that long for at least one of them. Um, so the first book is called We Ride Upon Sticks uh, by Quan Berry. Uh, and this is a book about it's set in 1980, the 1980s in Massachusetts and about a women's field hockey team in the town where the Salem Witch Trials began. And they uh, get involved with witchcraft uh, that helps them try to... Um, go to state in field hockey and then uh because they're teenage girls who are witches uh things happen uh and it is just so good uh so i really want to sit down and just finish it and then the other book is uh save me the plum is my more my gourmet memoir by ruth reichel uh which is a book about a woman who was a new york times food critic and then becomes the editor of gourmet magazine and it's all about um her time working at gourmet magazine so it's kind of a food memoir but it's also like a nostalgic time of print journalism memoir and a kind of a fish out of water story and all sorts of good stuff um and she's just such a beautiful writer and has these really lush descriptions of food and it's been i've had it partially finished for quite a while so i'm just gonna sit down and hopefully finish it um i have a question yes so for we ride upon sticks on like yes. a one to ten scale how close is it to the craft i don't know the craft the movie no, I, I don't know that one. Okay, I said that really, like, surprisingly. Like, I've <laughs> I've seen all of it, and I honestly never have. Uh, we are <laughs> bad <laughs> children of the 90s. But um, I've watched half of it. It's like a group of – it was like the 90s witchcraft, like, not practical magic, but like a group of girls who, like, are a coven, and then bad stuff happens. Um, that's – I mean, I don't, I don't know, but they, they – um... <laughs> Then they, like, have their magic by writing in this notebook that has a picture of Emilio Estevez on the cover. And then, yeah, it's pretty great. So it's it's probably not very similar then. <laughs> okay. No. This is good. Um, homework for next time is Kim and I will both watch the craft in its entirety and then discuss it. <laughs> you don't actually have to do that, Kim. Um, okay. So my book that I'm currently reading is The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. This is a massive fantasy novel, and I normally, I have a real threshold that ends, unless it's a Dickens novel, around, like, eh, 400 pages. But um, this is, like, I think 900, somewhere close to that. But it's, like, it's really good. And <laughs> she she takes a lot of inspiration from 16th century Europe. Um, and uh, I forget which century, maybe it's the same century for her part in East Asia. It's, you know, the fantasy version of East Asia. There are dragons, though. But it's clearly, like, inspired by that mythology. And uh, it's just really, the story's really interesting. It's, like, a secret spy thing. But also, it's, like, the queen is clearly Elizabeth I. 
but a, again, like a fantasy version of her. And Samantha Shannon now is 28, which I am so amazed by that she did this. And she also has like another giant series that she writes. Like she's a very prolific, but very good author. So I'm just very impressed. So with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And if you feel so inclined, please take a minute to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that helps people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so that you can get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.